0: How I love your word,
1: how it lights my path, how it guides my way.
0: The passage begins at verse 15, but we'll start at verse 13, just so that we know what's going on. We went ahead to the ship and set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there. For, we made this arrangement intending, for he had made this arrangement intending to go by land himself. When he met us in Assos, we took him on board and set sail for Mytilene. We set sail from there, and the following day we arrived opposite Chaos. The next day we touched down at Samos, and the day after that we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He was eager to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, they said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me the plots of the Jews I did not shrink from doing anything helpful proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus and now as a captive to the spirit I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Let's pray. Lord, well, we pray that you would come by your Spirit among us this morning and speak to us. Stir our hearts, enlighten our minds, and show us what it is you want us to see. And help us to love you more, and desire to follow you more. And bless Debbie as she speaks. Come upon her by your spirit, I pray, and empower her and release her and speak to her and through her. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning again, everybody. I don't have a beautiful PowerPoint prepared for you this morning, but what you might want to have, if you possibly can, is... The passage open in front of you or on your screen in front of you if you weren't following it already as Steve was talking, as Steve was reading it, because I'm going to refer to some different parts of it and it might just help you to have your eye on the phrases that I'm going to pick out in just a moment. Um, but I guess this whole story that we've got, this section of Acts chapter 20, it's all about Paul Speaking to and encouraging and exhorting, and kind of trying to impart something to a group of leaders from the church at Ephesus. And it's a really beautiful and a really intimate kind of passage. I don't know if you could pick that up um, as it was being read, because we kind of get to see right inside the Apostle Paul's heart as he's sharing with these people from Ephesus. We see his motives, kind of what drives him, what's at the core of him. We see something about the kind of relationship that he had with these elders um, in Ephesus. And Paul knows really strongly, we can see in verse 22, it says, Behold, bound by the Spirit... (laughs) I'm on my way to Jerusalem, or captive to the Spirit, I think Steve's version said. Bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He knows that the Holy Spirit is kind of tugging him in a direction, pulling him along And uh, he knows that he's got to get to Jerusalem and he's wanting to get there by the day of Pentecost, it says. And so because of this, he makes what is probably quite a painful and a difficult decision for him. He decides that he's not going to go to Ephesus, verse 16. It says he decided he would sail past Ephesus so that he wouldn't have to kind of go into Asia and spend time there. I don't think that's because he didn't want to. I think it's the opposite I think he knew that the relationships with those people in those churches in Ephesus were so strong and were so beautiful and was so important to him. And he was so longing to spend time with those people and longing to be around them um, that he just knew that if he went into Asia, he'd probably get delayed there Um, and he'd be held up there for ages. Those people in the church there loved him and he'd been through a lot with them. You know, remember there's a massive riot that kicks off in Ephesus and, uh, you know, he's uh, fearing for his life and all the people in the churches there have been sort of waiting with him on tenterhooks about what's going to happen to him they have faced riots and angry crowds um, and all the time Paul has been investing in them and he's tried to help these people to grow in their faith he's prayed for them and the bond that exists in that kind of relationship when the Holy Spirit's at work in church life is very very strong it's very strong and it's very powerful and I think Paul was thinking I think if I go there I'm just never going to be able to get away. I don't know if anybody ever feels like that at the end of church meetings sometimes. Who has ever slipped out a bit early? Because you know if you stay to the end, you're just never going to get away because you're just going to talk to everybody and you're going to want to spend time with them. I think it's that kind of feeling there. Maybe it's also the feeling that uh, he knows that there's a lot of enemies out there in Ephesus as well. As we've said, the crowds rioted against him. Um, There are lots of uh, the Jews who would have loved to have delayed him or even detained him or perhaps killed him because of his preaching of the gospel and his disrupting of the religious order that they had there. So for whichever reason, he avoids stopping in Ephesus. But it's almost as though he can't pass on to Jerusalem where he knows the Holy Spirit is tugging him along to. But he can't go there without talking to those Ephesian church leaders and giving them some final words of encouragement. Really kind of a saying goodbye moment um, that it's going to have. Because the Holy Spirit has been showing him that he was coming towards the end of his race. He was coming to nearing, completing his course in his ministry and uh, perhaps even his life uh, was going to come to an end in the future, not too long away. And that very likely, Paul was feeling he was not going to get a chance to see these people face to face ever again. That's what it says in verse 23, isn't it? except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city I go to, saying that bonds and afflictions await me in Jerusalem. But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom— Will no longer see my face. It's a really poignant moment, isn't it? A really poignant statement that he's making there. I'm not going to see you again. So I really want to see you. And it's such a beautiful insight into that relationship that Paul had as a leader with the people that he had brought to know Jesus that he had discipled, that he had trained, that he had mentored, that he had then appointed as leaders and elders in the church. And I was considering this. I was putting myself in the story, if you like. I was thinking, you know, if I knew that I was not going to see any of you ever again, I was thinking, what would be my final message if I had this opportunity to speak to you? What would it be that was in my heart that I wanted to kind of get over and leave with you? You know, first of all, I was considering, if I am, um, you know, like Paul here, he calls on these Ephesian elders to come to him. He doesn't want to go into Ephesus because he thinks he might get caught up there for one reason or another. He doesn't want to go into Asia because he thinks he'll be caught up in Ephesus. So he stays at Miletus and he calls the elders of the church to come to him. I was thinking, you know what, if I called the prayer planning team of Ictus Forest Hill and the house group leaders and assistants, maybe, if I called on all of those guys, maybe they're a bit similar to the Ephesian elders, and I said, okay, I really want to see you. I'm not coming to you, though, so um, you can come over to me. I worked out that it would be like me saying, I'm on the Isle of Sheppey, if you know where that is, about 45 miles, apparently between Ephesus and Miletus. I'm on the Isle of Sheppey, so can you all come over for this particular evening so that I can have um, a time with you? And, uh, you know, in those days for Paul, that 45-mile journey from Ephesus to Miletus would have taken those elders about 4 days to do on foot quite a big effort isn't it and i was wondering you know how many of my prayer planning and how many of my house greadies and assistants would actually come to the isle of Sheppey for an evening and they've got cars because I was thinking how difficult it is to actually get every single one of them on a Zoom just for one evening for a couple of hours in there, but they don't, they don't have to leave their house. They could just sit in their pajamas and have that meeting with me. Um, but, you know, I was considering this. Wow, what a love. What a commitment that they had, that they were going to get up, make a four-day journey, come along to spend time with Paul. But, you know, supposing they did want to see me, Supposing they did want to spend time with me that much, what would I think it was important to say? Because the answer to that says quite a lot about who we are, doesn't it? It reveals quite a lot, I think. And as I was considering it, I thought, well, probably I would be starting this time by sort of thanking everybody for their love and their support. You know, Thank you so much for coming. It's amazing that you've come all this way. You can imagine that I might say something like that. Thanking them for their love, for their support, for their friendship. Thanking you all for all the ways that you've served and you've blessed both the church life and and God's people, but also me personally. But you know, Paul doesn't really do that in these verses, or at least it's not the part that's recorded for us. It's not what we hear that he said to them. He actually talks about himself in these verses that we have before us today. And there'll be more that comes out next week when we look at the second half of what he shares with these elders. But for here and now, where we're focused this week, Paul talks about the whole manner in which he reached out to them. He talks about the character of the ministry that he has poured out for them. And he talks about the content of what he shared with them. And so what does that say about the Apostle Paul? And I don't think that this is like some people like to paint the Apostle Paul like this, don't they? I don't think it's because in some way he was very arrogant or very self-obsessed or he wanted to make everyone really sure they understood just how amazing of a leader he was, just what a brilliant apostle he had been to them. I don't think it's about that at all. It's not about him being proud of all of his amazing ministry exploits and wanting to remind everyone um, that they ought to be thanking him a bit more and feeling a bit more appreciative of him, it's actually the total opposite of all of that it's who paul was he doesn't want to make this whole message about him and how he is feeling about how grateful he might be for their friendship about how wonderful they've all been to him about how blessed he feels it's not about him and how he's feeling how they've helped him how they've blessed him he wants this to be about the gospel continuing to go out into the world around them and he wants to charge these elders at ephesus with the job, the important and huge responsibility that he knew he'd been carrying. He wants them to understand and to carry it too so that the gospel can keep going out, so that these people continue what he had started and they don't drift away from Jesus or start trying to build their own kingdom somehow and do things in their own way or set up churches that in some way serve them. Or feed them or make them feel better about themselves. He's trying to say to them, let's stay, let's continue in the manner and the spirit and the heart and the attitude that I've been showing you all this time, says Paul. Not just because I'm some brilliant person, but because he knew that he was a total slave to Christ. That's what Paul calls himself time and again throughout his letters and his dealings with with the people who are coming to know Jesus. He says, I am a bond slave of Christ. I am a slave of Jesus. I belong to him. I do what I see him doing. I do what I know he wants me to do. I'm bound by the Spirit to move in the direction that the Spirit shows me. And so he knew that he wasn't going to go off track, (laughs) because he was bound to Jesus and he was saying to these guys, you need to take hold of that for yourselves and do the same. Don't in the future stray and go off track because more people need to come to know Jesus' saving love. More people need to be able to enter in to the joy of Jesus' kingdom. And if we look a bit more closely for a few minutes at the character of, of the ministry that Paul was reminding them of, that he'd been showing them and and living out amongst them. You know, this is what those who follow Jesus, this is what those people who seek to be a Jesus follower, a Christian who seek to serve him in carrying responsibilities in his church, many of us here like that, this is what they need to look like says Paul. This is what we need to aspire to. And the first thing he says about himself in verse 18 is, I was with you the whole time. I'm just going to kind of rattle through some of these things, but I hope that they land with you the enormity of what's being described. Paul says, I was with you the whole time. In other words, he threw himself in. He got amongst the people he was serving and reaching out to. He didn't go and live in a nice house in the countryside somewhere out of town and kind of sail in on a Sunday morning and do his bit and preach a nice sermon, and have a nice chat and maybe pray for a few people and then go off again to his nice kind of distant life. He didn't live like that. He was amongst the people. He was with them. He was alongside. He was in their lives. He was involved. He lived like them, not apart from them not above them in any way I was with you he says the whole time there are models of Christian leadership out there in the world today that don't look like like that and we've got to be careful in our own hearts what we aspire to because Paul was trying to live like Jesus and Jesus lived just like that Jesus could have been born anywhere in the world, couldn't he? But he chose a little ignominious kind of spot, unremarkable in every way, lived with ordinary people, hung out with fishermen. That was Jesus, involved in ordinary people's lives, living it out like them. He says... In verse 18, I was with you the whole time. Verse 19, serving the Lord. He wasn't serving other people's demands. He wasn't serving himself. He was serving the Lord, not his own agenda. Just like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus said, Father, it's not my will, it's your will be done. The character of his service was that he served the Lord ultimately and he knew ultimately he was answerable to him for what he did and what he didn't do. He says he serves with humility in verse 19. He wasn't lording it over people. He accepted humility humiliation and criticism when it came, because there were lots of people who criticized Paul, both in the church and outside of the church. And people were always saying things like, oh, he wasn't learned enough. He wasn't clever sounding. He wasn't an eloquent speaker, or he's too judgmental, or he's too harsh in this way. And his, his moral standards are way too high. No one can live up to them. He was always being criticized and pushed away and rejected. He went through all kinds of those things, but he received it. He accepted it with humility. He coped with being misjudged and underestimated and underrated. It's not the world's version of leadership, is it? When we do the same thing to our politicians, (laughs) generally they come out fighting (laughs) with all deniability, justifying, you know, boosting themselves. But Paul says, I served with humility. I served with tears. Because when you love people, when you really love people in the church of God, you weep over them. And you feel the pain that they're feeling. You weep over the mistakes that they might be making. You weep over the hostility or the ingratitude that sometimes manifests itself that, that will get shown at times in turn in return for love or for prayers or for spiritual help you serve with tears when you love people paul had some tears for the people in ephesus with trials he says i served with humility with tears and with trials and we know that the apostle paul faced so many difficulties so much Opposition that he had to stand up to, including lots of physical persecutions, but he stuck in there. he didn 't just give up and go somewhere easier. he stuck in there, he held it out, he persevered through the opposition and the pressure that came at him, not only external pressure but enormous internal pressure, as we read about in his letters, and he talks about you know the thorn uh, in his flesh and, and the things that kind of uh, made him struggle in his spirit, that he had to really pray over. But he held his ground. He stuck through the trials. He persevered because of what Jesus had called him to do. He says, I didn't shrink from declaring anything to you that might be profitable. I didn't shrink from saying things that I thought could help you in your faith. He was willing to have difficult conversations, in other words. He was willing to speak the truth, to help people to get closer to Jesus, to help people to follow him more closely. And anything he thought might help this person in their faith, he was willing to say it, even though that might mean rejection of him. He says, I also was teaching publicly You know, he had to exert himself to stand before groups of people, to prepare and preach and teach, to expose himself with all the vulnerability that that takes, to stand before people and share what's on your heart. He was ready to do that in season and out of season. He was willing to dig in and find a message, even when it might be inconvenient or costly to him. He believed in the release of God's Word in power so much, so deeply in those ways. He believed that the anointing on the preaching of God's Word could break the yokes in people's lives and could break the strongholds that the enemy brings with deception in our minds and effect real change in people's lives. So he was willing, he was willing to put that effort in and to stand up before people, even though they sometimes said he wasn't a great speaker. And he put it out there because he knew the anointing of God was on the preaching of the word. And as he bound himself to Jesus, he knew Jesus would be faithful to work out the things that he was speaking about in the lives of his listeners. So he did that He pushed himself to teach publicly. I think when you look at the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Acts and throughout his letters, you get an impression that he was someone who was probably a lot more comfortable in the one-on-one. A lot more comfortable in the kind of debating and discussing, discussing and the dialogue that he could have with individuals. He loves to do that stuff. He was always, when he could, going to the synagogues, it says, and reasoning with people in those kind of conversational ways. But yet, he says, he pushes himself to stand up publicly, to do the thing that maybe he has to overcome something to do, to give the word of God to people and to see the power of it in people's lives breaking through. He says, I also went house to house. So he didn't just do the one-on-one chats. He didn't just do the standing up in big meetings, but he also went house to house. He wasn't only interested in big platforms in some way, but he went to the small groups and the families and all ages and all types of people that you might find in a household. He was equally faithful in talking to the big meetings and to the small gatherings. (laughs) he was solemnly testifying it says in my translation that word um, for witnessing or testifying it's a kind of uh, a slightly intensified word in the Greek it kind of means to witness through to witness completely to witness right through to the end doing a complete job no half measures not missing anything out he did the whole job And he did it, it says, for Jews and Greeks. He didn't just stick to an easy audience. You know, maybe he feels more at home with these people than he does with those people. But he's going to tell everybody about the good news of Jesus. No matter who they are, everyone needs to hear this message. And the ones he relates to need to hear it just as much as the ones that he doesn't find so easy to be around. And the gospel needs to get out there. And you know, these things that I've been sharing, they illustrate the manner of the ministry that Paul moved in. And every single one of them are things that he learned straight from Jesus. And that's why Paul was someone who could say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Such a bold statement, isn't it? But he knew, he knew that he was bound to Jesus. He knew that he'd given up on everything else, that his life wasn't about the other stuff. He was so closely trying to get hold of Jesus. And so he could say it, follow my example because I'm following Christ. And these things, these kind of qualities, they are the hallmarks of true Christian leadership. And I think if it doesn't look like this, or at the very least, if it doesn't aspire to this kind of picture, then I want to suggest to you it's not really Christian leadership. It's something else, something that it's easy perhaps to fall into the trap of, something man-made, something a bit religious, something that's about empire building, maybe something that's about self-promotion. We all know those temptations. We all know those things tugging us in different directions. I remember feeling devastated one time hearing a group of people from a ministry that was outside of There's not to do with us, but they were talking about <coughs> how they would only accept preaching invitations from places that paid over a certain amount of money for their honorarium at the end of it. Or, They would only accept certain invitations if they had over a certain number of people who would be sitting there, because otherwise it's not really worth my time going there, you know, if there's not too many people there or whatever. And I remember them talking about it, and they were talking about how they felt offended to be invited to some of these places that couldn't or wouldn't give that kind of money or that kind of audience to them. And it, it hurt me, it grieved my spirit, and it's so opposite to Paul here, isn't it? It's so opposite to Jesus isn't it? Who gave up the very majesty of heaven that he lived in to come down and to kind of grovel in the dust in humanity with people like us. He didn't have to leave that space to come and be with us, but Jesus did it because that was the message that he wanted to bring us. So much, so so much did it beat in his heart the the message for which he came, the salvation that he wanted to offer humanity the um, answer to all of their lostness and brokenness, it's so burned and beat within Jesus' heart that he was willing to leave the beautiful realms of heaven and step down and live a life that just looked like anybody else's. In fact, it looked like somebody rather unimportant. And in fact, it ended up being put to death on a cross in the most humiliating and the most disregarding way that we could have done to him as a member of humanity. That's what Jesus took on because the message within him burned and he needed it to get out there to human beings and that's what burns in Paul's heart. That's why this is what characterizes his very ministry because he wants every person on the planet to hear the good news of Jesus and have a chance to respond to it and receive it. That's what's in Paul's heart. And you know, Paul's message boiled down To something that he mentions in verse 21. He says, this is why I did it this way, because I want you to know about repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These two kind of essential foundation stones upon which to build our lives with God. And these are two areas that Paul kind of covers in detail. This is what he witnessed through to people so that he knew that he had thoroughly given the gospel to them. And I just want to say a couple of words about those two things before we close. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance. Because we do need to preach repentance, don't we? Because you can't really know the saving power of Jesus without it. And of course, repentance might look and feel and sound very different from person to person. It may come for some in a flash of conviction and conscience and they kind of fall on their knees, you know, like Peter in the boat before Jesus saying, oh, go away from me, Lord Jesus, because I'm a sinful man. It may be like that for some, but for others, it may be like a gradual kind of realization that grows and increases and sort of humbles us along the way. But whatever, it needs to be there. I remember a lady um, in Greenwich, when I was working in Greenwich at New Life Congregation many years ago, saying to me, you know, I, you know, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't really feel that I've got anything that I need to repent of. You know, I don't really get this repentance bit, she was saying. And she said, you know, it's not that I think I'm perfect. I know that I'm not perfect, but I kind of feel that the mistakes that I've made, well, maybe I just couldn't really have known any better, and I couldn't really have done any differently. Uh, under the circumstances so she kind of felt like well I don't see how Jesus can really hold that against me in my past you know and I remember saying to her well you know I think I think it that you're saying that oh just because you just as yet you don't know Jesus very well (laughs) and if you keep getting to know him I think you're going to find that some desire for repentance starts to well up before too long and she was perfectly happy she accepted that she was like yeah maybe I just don't feel it (laughs) But, you know, sure enough, it was a few months later that some tears began to flow for her in repentance because she felt the kind of the folly of her old life sort of coming into the, into the light for her. The life that she would tried to live without God started to come home to her more and more and how different some of the things in her life perhaps would have been had she been reaching out to God for help. Because repentance, we know, don't we? It isn't about trying really hard to feel bad about all the stuff that we've ever done wrong and just beating ourselves up about it. That isn't what repentance is. Nor is it a one-time thing where we, like, we pray a sinner's prayer once and we never have to think about repenting ever again. Repentance is an attitude of heart That we, as we learn to follow Jesus, we start to live in as a Christian every day. Like the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And, you know, some might say, well, doesn't that sound like a very kind of miserable and heavy and condemning sort of way to live? You know, if you have to be repentant every day no it's actually a very liberating a very life-giving experience because what we're talking about is simply the humility of heart that says i cannot do the christian life without you jesus i cannot do a good life without you jesus i need you on my own i mess it up on my own i get it wrong even my best efforts for you they will fail they'll fall short and things will get worse but When you, Jesus, when you fill me with your Holy Spirit and your righteousness as you promised to do, well, that's when I can really live and I can really be like Jesus and I can really fulfill the things that he's given me to do and be. And we've got to keep on looking for his resources and acknowledge that it isn't in ourselves to be good enough for heaven If we never find that place of repentance with Jesus in our lives, then we never really know the joy of his full embrace of us. You know, that prodigal son in the story, he could have lived out his days, couldn't he, with the pigs, feeling bad about himself, feeling guilty and sorry, beating himself up, ashamed, punishing himself forever. He could have stayed there. But it was when he fell on his knees before his father, and repented, that he then could feel the arms of his father around him, picking him up in total forgiveness, in total acceptance, in total embrace. (laughs) And then there's faith. I want to finish with a word or two about faith. There's faith in Jesus Christ. That was the message Paul preached. Some people get as far as repentance And they know that they need God and they know that they're not good enough on their own, but they haven't yet put their faith in Jesus to lead them on. And they get stuck in their own failures and their own regrets and they don't look up to see Jesus standing there saying to them, okay, come with me now because we're going to go somewhere in this Christian life. We're walking into new places. We're walking into new things. And that takes trust. It takes faith. It takes trust that the past really is dealt with and I can walk away from it. It takes trust that it's not going to keep on catching up with us and tripping us up. Or at least that if it does, it takes trust to know that Jesus is there and that he's going to promise to show us how to deal with those things. Faith is that bit, isn't it, that gets you out of the boat to walk away on those stormy waters that Peter walked on. It would be easy to just stay cowering in the boat and acknowledge that the storm is too much for us. Well, that's one thing. But Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to trust him and to walk through it. And even when the storm hasn't died down yet, it's still going and the waves are huge and the wind is buffeting and it's terrifying. But faith In Jesus Christ, that's the thing that keeps you walking towards the voice of Jesus, going somewhere in spite of the storm. And it is in that walk of faith in Jesus that we have our biggest adventures in the Christian life and we discover what God can really do with a little old life like mine. He can do amazing things if we will put our faith in Jesus Christ and walk with him somewhere. So repentance and faith, they go hand in hand in that Christian life. And I just want to challenge us as we close. Are we missing either one of those things in our life with Jesus at the moment? Is there some repentance? Is there some faith? Let's talk to Jesus about it. Let's ask him to send his spirit to help us to just soften our hearts or to repent And to set our faces like flint so that we can walk with him in faith. One last word. I want to leave you with this challenge that comes to us through Paul's character in verse 26 to 27. Last couple of verses. He says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people. Because I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul says, I've witnessed to you thoroughly. I've done all I can, and so I know that I'm innocent of the blood of all the people in that region of Asia. And he was saying, you know, if they don't receive Jesus, if they are lost, it's not because I didn't do my part. And we can hear Paul's heart there, because he understands that responsibility that he was carrying to reach the lost souls for Jesus. And I just really want to challenge us. Do we understand our responsibility? Are we conscious of the task that the Holy Spirit is calling us to so that we can say together with Paul that we have finished our race and that we've completed our ministry that was entrusted to us? Our ministry may function very differently from Paul's. It may look completely different, but still, each and every one of us, we have a responsibility before God to complete what he's asking us to do. And so I just want to leave us with some words. I'm going to play a song for us. Um, It's one of my heroes, Keith Green. Um, He wrote a song, but actually he spoke some words at the beginning of this song, and that's what I really want you to hear. And then maybe we can just use the song that he sings afterwards to talk to the Lord and to make sure that we've engaged with him over the ministry he's entrusted to us and that we're going to say to him, yes, Lord, I'm going to fulfill it and I'm going to aspire to do it in a way that looks like Jesus and nothing else. And uh, I want to just play this for us as we respond together. And one last thing, it is from the 70s, so you have to excuse where it sounds a bit dated. Some of you will not cope with that, but try to listen past it and hear it because I believe it still carries a real anointing just to quicken our hearts to fulfill what Jesus wants to do with our lives. So let's prayerfully listen. This generation
2: of believers that you and me are a part of, we're responsible for this generation of souls all over the world. We're responsible for them. We're responsible to pray daily for the needs of ministries around the world and ask God How about me not sending my money this time how about me going it's so easy to write a check it's so easy but god can't cash out of state checks in heaven he needs you open your eyes to the world all around you open your eyes open your eyes this world is much more than the things that surround you must arise and open your eyes sometimes we're too busy to share but Jesus wants us to care to care open your arms to the naked and shivering. open your arms open your arms we need a little less taking a whole lot more giving we're so safe and warm can open our arms and love. To the ones who are desperate Open your hearts, open your hearts They may never repay you But their souls are worth it New life you impart when you open your heart Jesus loves all men the same So we've got to go out in His name His name, listen Oh, Jesus says Shake yeah. your yeah. Your eyes to the world all around.